All right, we're live. What's up, guys? John Sintes here, Cutter Nation podcast. Cast right low. Another uh, amazing day. Let's see, what's today? The 1st of July. Holy crap, we made it. I, I feel like yesterday it was March. I don't know what happened to the year. Um, but that being said, our amazing guests uh, to update us, uh, Weston Germain, Mill City Throwing. How's it going, buddy? Doing great. How about you guys? We're doing good. We're doing good. I hope everything stays safe. It seems like people are trying to figure it out. I know we have some weird um, case spikes, but you got to, you know, you got you to gotta roll with it. You got to stay 20, smart. 2020, man. The day of quarantine starting, or the, like two days before quarantine starting, I had a conversation with Craig Clough of Diamond Sports, Diamond Baseball. And uh, I hadn't talked to him since today. So that's 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 a long time. That was like freaking four months ago. Three months yeah, ago, four it's, months it's ago. It's crazy how fast the time has gone. Uh, and so that was like 14 weeks ago? Yeah, it was like 15 weeks ago, basically. So one about one week after quarantine started is when I started this project. So it's been like when I think of it that way, that 15 it's been 15 weeks and time has flown by. It's crazy that when I started throwing over in the park, I was wearing a hoodie and sweatpants. And now I like have to try to get out in the park early to throw because it's so hot all the time. It's uh, it's been a weird time. Sounds like it. Yeah, sounds like it. So uh uh, last time you were on, you updated us on um, your plan, your approach with the program that you're going through. Um, why don't you just quick update from the beginning and, and and just catch us up on the new information? I'm real excited to hear about it. Yeah, absolutely. So um, just a quick, quick recap of what we've been doing. Um, essentially, since quarantine started, I have been testing an interval throwing program, uh, basically that's been designed for rehabbing an injured overhead throwing athlete. So specifically, if you're like coming back from Tommy John surgery or a Tommy John racing, something along those lines, um, using a modus sleeve. So I'm putting on the modus sleeve, going to the park and throwing the prescription for what is like a traditional interval throwing program where it prescribes a number of throws at a number of distance. You throw essentially every other day uh, and then it progresses your load uh, over time. So I'm testing that, and I'm also testing a program that we designed uh, that's based on specific workload data, like measuring your one-day workload and gradually increasing that using an, an objective metric rather than just like made, like guessing at the stress of certain distances and certain amounts of throws. Uh, so we've been kind of evaluating those, and we're evaluating those programs through the lens of acute to chronic workload ratio which is essentially taking chronic workload, which is the, the workload that you've experienced over the last 28 days, an average of that, and acute workload, which is the average workload you've experienced over the past nine days. So it's like a fatigue measure and a fitness measure and looking at the ratio there. And so basically what you want is your acute to chronic ratio to be below 1.3. And so we're just kind of evaluating both of those programs to see how they track over the course of 14 weeks and, and just kind of to evaluating them and deciding like, can we do this better? Like what's, is there a better way to, to return from injury and through these throwing programs? So when we left off, it was week nine and I just wrapped up week 14. So something that just came into my head was how, where the industry's at right now, what the kind of things that you're doing 
we kind of talked about how that first month is kind of that uh, there's there's some there's issues with the idea of the first month right and so the value really comes into doing this over months and months and months and months with hundreds and thousands of people right and and we had arnell aguinaldo on aguinaldo on yesterday and um you know that was one of the conversations that we had had was we just need the volume we just need this these numbers to be happening and i hadn't really uh thought about that with your with with the modus uh, so i was just sharing that with you because it's a it's a it's a really it's a really helpful thing to understand for those coaches out there that might not be inclined to be picking up a modus sleeve ah technology i don't need technology and it's like ah but for the greater good we'll actually be able to figure this out if everybody starts doing it and it's like yeah. don't we need that togetherness right now yeah the the, the additional data i mean the, the more the data bank grows over time the more experience like because what we're what we're going to find out is like ac ratio is not perfect it's not the end-all be-all of like injury prediction, but it gives us an objective framework to kind of- But it's better. Exactly, it's, it's better. better. Than, right. And the only way that we're gonna get to better than that is if we work on AC ratio. If we just say AC ratio isn't perfect, so we're not gonna use it, then we're never gonna improve AC ratio to the next level of thing. Um, and to your, just speaking to your point real quick to clarify the 28 day, like why it's not great for the first month, is because the chronic workload takes 28 days. Like you have to have a 28 day average of workload in order to like establish your chronic fitness. So in right. like the first 14, 21 days, there's some formula changes that can happen to give you a pretty good guess, but really like it starts being incredibly accurate after 28 days of, of workload data, just for clarification there. Yeah, and I and I think I'm and I'm, it's so good for us to be having this conversation because when I'm hearing that, I'm like, okay, so just just needing to be so conservative on the front end with players and like having more conversations with um yeah just a lot of people are the the volume at the lower intensity is is really the sweet spot you know um you you have to have the max capacity you have to know where that red line is but to be able to like handle that is the key and be able to like there's so many benefits of ramping up to that you know and natural ball player Cordell Green on ramping you know it's it's in all he overuses it you know he's so so clear that this is going to be an on ramping phase you know what i mean and um anyway i'm just trying to keep it global as well while while you go here so i'll i'll yeah. let you, i'll shut up and let you go where we are okay well, go ahead well no so i mean that's that that's the huge point of or a huge point of this is that and it's a little bit jumping ahead to what's next but that's all right like but if we can decide on a framework that's really good for injured athletes to use coming back, a, a structure, a framework, of, then like that's going to be applicable to a healthy athlete too. It's just going to be quicker. Like the fact that with an injured athlete, we have to worry about how much stress are we exposing to that, them to early on. Like that threshold's a little bit higher if it's a healthy athlete. Uh, but the but the general principles of the framework are going to be the same. And so, if we can if we can figure out a better way to rehab people from zero after an injury, we're going to have a better way to on-ramp people from zero after just a shutdown period when they want to get back to it. Uh, so it's definitely going to be applicable across the board uh, once, you know, people start using that tech and, and kind of taking that data into account. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's get into it. You told us you kept us up to date to week nine. Now we have all 14. Yeah. So, I think I think I mentioned this 
when I was on last because I could kind of see it coming. Um, but in the traditional interval throwing program, they hadn't really done a whole lot to build chronic workload up until that point. Um, on, May, on May 20th, when we last spoke, the highest workload, the highest one-day workload that that program had exposed my arm to was a three. And for example, that's like, I could probably do that in 65 to 70 throws at like, I don't know, 75% maybe like that's, and that might be high, but it's, it's not a really high intense workload day to have a three workload unit day since then. So in the past five weeks, it went from three being the highest workload to 37 being the highest workload that it exposed me to. So it went from basically not like a full on recovery day, three, one day workload to 90 pitches at a hundred percent off of a mound in five weeks. Um, whereas the program that we put together, the in-house program went from nine on week nine, we had a nine, one day workload up to 17 at this point. So like less than a 50% increase compared to, I don't know, 12 times the increase in, in one day workload. Um, so what, what, what happened was the, the traditional throwing program didn't really build any fitness, but then in order to say your return to throw, like your return to competition, they have to like get you to game ready. So if you look at the, if you actually look at the chronic workload graph, it's like basically flat and then it just spikes right at the end because they, they try to make up all this ground at the end and they they do. I mean, the chronic workload for that program ended up almost double the chronic workload of our program that we designed, but they do so at the expense of three straight weeks of AC ratio spikes because it's not a safe, in, safe rate of increase for workload. Um, they spent 24 days over a 1.3 and the AC ratio was over two for a large portion of that. So like just throttling the workload and so then you just have to decide as a clinician or as an athlete or as a coach, like, are we okay with that type of risk at that point in the drug program? Because they essentially expose the athlete to the highest rates of fatigue and the highest injury risk through the AC ratio lens when they were just starting to throw hard for the first time. So it was extra fatigue. It was extra torque. It was all like every other day of throwing. Uh, and so I would argue that that's not a great setup. Um, we wouldn't, I wouldn't normally ask a healthy athlete to throw 90 pitches off the mound at hundred percent on Monday and then do the same thing on Wednesday. Um, okay. So the, when you say standard, um, standard is what? Standard. What do you mean? Protocol. So the, the, like the traditional interval throwing program. Oh yeah. Is, traditional. Yeah. Yeah, is it, I mean, I'm saying that because we're using the one that was found on the ASMI website, but there are okay, there are okay, so, so that's many iterations that are laid out the same way. Basically the I, same yeah. thing. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So the, the this is my point is the ASMI is the standard, like the gold standard of what you're supposed to be doing right now. Correct? Yeah. I mean, I think that's where a lot of people turn. I think that's why there's so many programs that look, I, I mean, there are programs that a PT will put out their own program and you look at it and there are sections that are copy pasted off of this product. Like the wording is the same and they change right. just a little bit here and there, but the framework is the same. Right. 
And so here I am like, so, oh, it's just the, the, the panel of people that Arnell yesterday, he's compiling in this science thing. They're, they're coming together to really do better science in biomechanics. Um, but a lot of them are ASMI people. And, and so that's, that's fine. And, and, and I, I'm, I'm recognizing that I need to take away my whatever bias when I'm thinking about these things, because those kind of people are going to do things that propel this industry forward in one way, shape or form, just like the things that we're talking about. Um, so I, I say these things with all due respect, but I also say them as like, I'm noticing, right? I'm noticing the influences in the industry. I'm noticing where the authorities are so I'm painting this picture a little bit just because it's interesting to talk about, um, but also so people realize that nobody is doing anything about this, right? So when I, like, I know Weston is the last person to sit and brag about himself, but like literally nobody's doing this. And it's just unbelievable. You know, so when we hear Arnell talk about it, you need a, you know, the difference there is where's the, where's the marker biomechanics lab market? Right. Like, like you can't just go do that. You can't just go make that. Um, it, it's just such a huge time commitment, money investment, like yada, yada, yada for in so many ways. That's why you have to be a scientist to publish on it. Right. And so we did bring up the wearables yesterday and it's like, this is data. No bad, bad data is better than no data. And, and it's just like, we need to, everybody needs to be doing this for that reason. And it, it just went off in my head. So I keep coming back to it because I hope we're hearing this message is like, Hey, this is just the beginning. Now, like more people need to be thinking about their throwing like this. If you're a little leaguer, listen to this stuff. You actually have to think about things like a schedule and quit listening to what your coach says about when you're going to throw and play, like do it by design, throw by, Oh my gosh throw by design right like put that on a freaking mug and drink out of it yeah yeah i mean to to be fair like going back when you mentioned like glenn fleisig of the asmi like he has mentioned that the modus sleeve is valuable technology before like it's not like these they, they're not discrediting it and it's not like the modus is recognized as being good data uh, i mentioned there are some people that had problems with ac ratio but the i think the and there are people doing what I'm doing, but I think that what's unique is that most of those people are looking at it from a, a strictly a performance enhancement standpoint and like training economy and how do we do this? And I got just, I just got pulled into this field in a different area because I was looking at rehab. Uh, and I think that the people that are using the modus sleeve in rehab are probably in organizations where they're not going to publish papers about it. Like, if the, angels right. crack, if the angels crack the code, if their team doc cracks the code on this, they're not going to publish a paper about it. And the general public is going to be left to use whatever has been published. So there are, like, I would be willing to bet money that there are professional organizations that are using a modus sleep in their rehab, but you're not going to read about it. Uh, so what, what we're doing, and I say we, uh, Jamie was on the first time with me, is we're putting together an actual full-length, like, growing protocol paper outlining how to use one day workload and AC ratios to create this framework, hoping to kind of move the conversation in that direction. Now, granted, like we aren't, we aren't 
PASMI. We're going to put this out and people can read it and, and think what they want of it. But there's, there's too much information available to keep guessing on this stuff, whether you're guessing right. with, an, with an injured population or a healthy population. Like, we don't need to guess anymore. And so even if you only use some of the data, like, you just, you don't need to guess anymore. Well, and it just, the whole idea, the idea isn't even being executed, right? So anything that gets people to create a plan and execute it, right? I am all about, especially if it's going, you know, it's going to contribute on top of that. But like, that's what's just so striking to me. So anyway, um, yeah, what else? What are we? You want to talk future stuff? You where are we at? Well, I, I don't. So, I don't keep my. I don't keep notes well. No, could, that's could we so. break? I have a question for you. Um, could we? Um, I I want to go back to that spike, uh, and maybe we could. The language seemed a little confusing right there, right? And maybe we could just rephrase it in just a more simple term, um, and and maybe I could try to say it, and you could help me with it. You know, Absolutely. Uh, the the buildup over time is just too much too soon for what the protocol is right now. Is that kind of what it is basically what we're saying, right? As, as far as like how the chronic is not, you have to stress the arm. Is that what we're, is what you're saying? You, like you in, in a safer way, right? Gradually. So gradually what, what we see in our program that was designed with like based on one day workload is you see a progression that's about like this. Yeah. Right? Because we're, we just know, and not that every single day is success, like is harder, but over time, that's what our chronic workload is doing. It is a nice gradual line. And what we saw from the traditional interval throwing program is like a very flat line for a very long time and then a spike. Yeah. So even if we had ended up at the same path, we would have ended up there or at the same point, we would have ended up there two very different ways. And, and by avoiding that big jump at the end, you can have a safe gradual increase in workload rather than not much of anything and then a whole bunch. And it, I feel like it, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like I, I was going to try to use my screen, but I feel like there's even like weightlifting concepts where you want to build up, build up, build up, deload, and then, and then peak, you know, so there's even other things from a performance standpoint that might be, you know, spinoffs of the same progression. Yeah, go, go ahead, John. Um, I forgot what I was going to say because that was Cass got me on that one. That was a good one. Um, well, it, it's it's interesting um, just thinking about the throwing protocol that I went through um, with with uh, down in Florida when, when I was back there after I hurt my arm. And so, you know, we talked about the crow hop that was so weird. You know, I, I distinctly remember smoking my uh, physical therapist in the chest who couldn't should not have been throwing baseballs with me from, you know, 20 feet away because it said right. I needed a crow hop. And I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, you know? And so, um, one, oh, I know, I remember the question. Um, and you, you, you yourself, when you were training this, did you actually see a velo difference in the, you know, as far as maybe hand speed? I'm not sure what the, how the modus measures that, but, you know, in the two differences of the approach, right? Um, was there any performance benefit to the gradual as well as opposed to the spike? Or, and well, did you did the spike create a negative performance benefit? So I I didn't get to I wouldn't really be able to speak to the specific benefit of either one of the programs because I was throwing both of them. So like my body physically was handling the stress of both. So like if one and so if one person did that, like I, there may very well be I I would not feel comfortable. This is just frankly like 
if I had an athlete who was rehabbing and was going to use that traditional interval throwing program, I would not feel comfortable letting them do it. Like I, and what I, what I, what I mean is there's no way I would let one of my pitchers who was returning from injury throw that protocol. Like there's no way. Um, because I don't want, like I said, I don't want my healthy pitchers throwing that hard that often. Like the, this is, and this is going to, to answer your question, I don't, I think there's probably yeah, I just wasn't sure. Casually. Yeah, I, I'm sure that the, the amount of throwing that's going into it, obviously, if you're throwing more, you're going to get more familiar, you're going to be able to throw the ball faster. There's, you know, there's a skill level increase to what's going on there. I was just interested to, if, if you saw some, you know, outside and, you know, maybe maybe it was a feeling. I don't know. But it, to me, it just seemed like obviously with the gradual and the ability to throw a little bit more and feel better. Then, then the consistency, the being comfortable, the way, you know, we've been, I've been saying free space lately a lot with throwing, the, the ability to find these free space areas that feel really good when you're throwing. So this is what I will say about the two programs. And I think we'll speak to that a little bit is that the traditional interval throwing program only progresses, in, it only prescribes increases. So 50 throws at 45 feet to 75 throws at 45 feet to 50 throws at 90 feet, like it's only going up and you're throwing every other day. So your workload really only increases day to day. And sometimes they're not very big increases. That's, that is what it is. But within the program we designed week over week, your workload is increasing, but you're not throwing more every time you go out. So you have those days where it's like, okay, I'm going to throw four workload units today, but I'm going to do that however I want. My arm wants to be nice and easy today, so I'm going to explore at 50%, see how it feels, get, get my work done and be done. And two days later, I'm going to throw a 17 workload day, and I'm going to have all the time in, in the world to get myself warm, to pull down, to get off of a mound. And I can do that how my body wants to. Um, and I think it's not necessarily the program's progression over time that makes your arm feel better, but the fact that you can listen to your arm week to week. And like, so on those days when I would go out and throw my high workload day in our program, my arm pretty much always felt good because I was able to do what it needed before that, knowing, oh, I've got a big day tomorrow. It wasn't, I've got a big day tomorrow. And then two days after that, I have another big day. And two days after, you know, so I think you're absolutely right. Finding those spaces where an athlete can individualize and adjust to what they want to do and what their arm is feeling is huge. Uh, and, and I think pays dividends as far as how you feel then on those days where you need to get up to max intent. I just, I don't know how you get around not throwing you around because for that reason, like, it's just like Joe Rogan says, you know, like once you get past like 30, like it's so hard to get back into shape and 40, it's just like hell. He's like, so just don't get out of shape. And it's like the same concept of, you know, you want to be able to throw, I mean, max two games in a week. And, and I always tell people, if you're throwing three games a week, you better be playing for a conference championship. And you better or be so under 15 pitches. Yeah, they, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, they better not be long outings, really. Um, yeah. It's... It's... I, I, uh, it's all of this, all of this, uh, I'm sorry, Weston, I, I just had a little thought. Um, it, ma it makes me think about like the free space idea and how I, I remember playing in Mexico and I threw five days in a row twice. Um, 
and velo, no velo drops, but inside of that week right there, like just amazingly lucky outings. Like I think the first, the first one was like six pitches. The second one was like nine. Right. And so it was like, okay. And they're like, Oh, you're three days in a row. And I was like, I'm throwing 15 pitches in two days. I remember like arguing with our, our head coach. He's like, you're down today. I'm like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Don't tell me I'm down. No, I'm not. And I remember day five, um, we were going to sweep the week and I was going to get all five saves uh, in a row. And I was like, I'm going in. And he's like, no, you're not. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm absolutely. Now, of course, day five, you know, it was like, I think it was like six, nine, 12, 10. And then it was like 20. Cause he put, yeah, you know, right. like, you know, finally ran, you know, ran out of timing and, and stuff from there. But I just think you remember being like, okay, this is risky. Like I'm going to throw five days in a row. I feel good, but like, who knows what's going to happen? Cause I, but, I just don't remember anybody doing it, you know? Right. But here's the thing. Imagine like, you may very well have been complete. It might've been completely reasonable choices. If you had a chronic workload built up that can sustain that, like imagine not having to guess, imagine if your coach could just say, when you come into him and say, I, I think I should be up today. And he says, yeah, like you're good to go. Like you, yep. You're good for, you're good for an inning. I'll give you so an inning. It's and interesting that you say that because I, one of the things that I saw in Mexico that I didn't really see in the States and, and maybe you guys can help me out, especially being pitching coaches, you know, for your level is the guys that the, I had four different pitching coaches, two of them, the same guy when I was playing down there, um, two different seasons, same guy, but they all had the same system and they would count two things for pitchers to count, to track their workload through the season, bullpen pitches and then in-game pitches. And they would have a chart that you could go see on it. And so it would just rotate through the week. Like the day would end and then the next day it would just be slid over to the next in the mountain. You could you could actually see the whole team where it would be like I'd be over here like every day and then be a starter and just from there. But it would just be numbers. And I didn't really it didn't really make sense to me. And then I remember asking him later about, well, how do you determine who's up and who's down? And they were just like, well, John, you have you can throw a lot. So I know that if you throw 30 pitches in an outing, depending on if those are stress pitches or not, that I know you could come back the next day, but you're probably going to be tired and you can only go an inning or two. I feel like what you're saying, if this same concept were to apply, um, Cass brought up, you know, um, wearing the markered suit during the game. Right. And we know that stress in the game against, a, a, you know, another human is just it's a different thing. Um, is that something that you've if you've you've run across too, you know, like in-game stress to, to, you know, throwing session stress? So I haven't had the opportunity really to, to have the sleeve on somebody in a game, but here's where I think that it's important to mention that like, one, I think you would see higher torque values just from adrenaline. Like if you're throwing harder, it's going to be more stressful on your arm. That like in and of itself would lead to a little bit higher stress throws, but also like there's more things that contribute to stress right? That the sleeve isn't like your elevated heart rate, the, the situ like there are things that play into what, how much stress is going on in your body that aren't measured by the sleeve. Um, there are people that are working on like integrating a whole bunch of this technology to give a better picture. Um, but I think it's pretty widely accepted that like tie game bottom of the ninth for a reliever, like those pitches are more stressful on him than his bullpen was the day before, even if he thought it was at a hundred percent. Um, I don't, you said I, that so much better than I did. Thank you. Thank you. Well, well, I don't know. I don't know how it gets accounted for. Like, you know, and that's where heart rate monitoring, there's, there's a lot of different things you can do to, to gauge readiness that we're kind of oh, man. working that, on that, and, and sorting yeah. out. But, 
but yeah, I think it, it all has to be part of the picture. And that's where if people are like not really into AC ratio, it's like, well, it's not the whole picture. It's part of it. It's a yeah. component in this, in this readiness piece and this on-ramping piece that like it, it shouldn't just be thrown out if there's one or two little like issues with it. So, um, I like, I don't believe in launch angle swing. What are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> launch angles are a descriptive, like it's an adjective. Right. <laughs> well, that's, I actually, I had a conversation with the athlete that, uh, that I'm working through. It's not a verb. Yeah. He, I, I told him, I said, wouldn't it be great if, if arm stress became as much of a hot button term as launch angle? Like every throw has arm stress already, like, but we're going to put a number on it. And then we're going to talk about like how, it, you know, workload or whatever. Um, hopefully it becomes part of the normal like vernacular here and not too long. Uh, right. But yeah, yeah uh, that's good stuff. Cause I, you know, that as you're going through and I'm, I'm really just trying to think about my rehab experience and then all the throwing that I've done and even how, you know, Cass was talking earlier, you know, I, I haven't stopped throwing since I got hurt, you know, and I, and I don't, I don't want to stop throwing. And so I, I'm very interested in to see what my chronic workload fitness buildup is because like, it's just throw and throw and throw and throw and throw and throw. And yeah. like, I know the low effort throws are, there's no stress, the high effort throws, there's minimal stress, you know? So um, it's, it's interesting for your approach to this and how I think about just my general throwing as well, you know, and, and the buildup and, and understanding that part really about what you're, the gradual, the up part is obviously everybody wants to get here. Like everybody wants to get to peak performance, whether it's endurance, it's, you know, the top velocity power output for there, you know, I, and I don't think that, um, I won't throw this to, to hot word because I think that that's a, you know, that's a massively important thing. Like, can you build up your throwing session and long toss for what's a massively important thing? Just throwing fitness, throwing fitness. Oh, yeah. The, the, the freight that it cut out. Yeah. Because, um, I, cause, you know, when we go long toss, it, it, it's more of a time thing, you know. And, and for me, I don't count the distance or the number of throws until I reach max distance, right? Because that's my gauge, I guess you could say, right? And so there, there's a little bit of a um, trial and error. If, if you can have thing that max throws and you know what it is, like, not real hard to pair a bunch of you know technology devices like a pitch logic ball, a sleeve, a camera, and and start collecting your own data so you can see what it is to you. You know maybe your chronic stress load isn't isn't from there. So, um, you know appreciate it from the baseball community because this is you know very very quality information. I, I can't wait to uh, check out the website and see what the updated information you have on it too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, it's been it's been fun. I feel like I've learned like quite a bit that's going to be able to be applied um, in a number of ways moving forward. Like that when you talk about the off time, um, like don't ever get out of shape. Like I know a lot of people that have because of the problems that on ramping can cause. Like they they don't want their athletes to shut down because they know that the that on ramping from zero is a minefield. But having this objective data, you can say, okay, well, we are going to de we're going to deload. We're going to take your chronic fitness down a bit, but you're going to keep throwing so that then the on-ramp is easier. Like it can go more smoothly. So it gives you all sorts of options. It gives the, the 12 year old that is going to take a shutdown period. It gives them the option to have an objectively safe, like safer 
on-ramp period that's guided by metrics, but it also gives you the ability to throw year-round potentially and know where you're at at a given time. Yeah. Here's a here's a real simple idea. Why don't we list a bunch of things that are not baseball or not softball that are throwing sports that they can do in these off times that are different implements, right? So football, dodgeball, volleyball, like these are real things. Even like, I mean, you, you're not going to practice throwing a soccer ball, but you could but be real good. Hey, I'm that guy on the team to throw it in. You got to throw it with two hands. I know. What about that goalie, the goalie like bowler? Oh, yeah, that one. I got a cousin, I got a cousin in college that threw it like half the field one time. I saw it. I was like, dude, we got to get you on the bump quickly. Like, um. what is going on over there, Johnny? You're going, you're going blurry. Your internet's bumming out. Wednesday. I thought you were, I thought you were big league over there. Redman's days. (laughs) Anyway, uh, so. Uh, Cass said future, right? Um, did we go into that? Like what the, what's the next, what, what are we doing next here? Yeah. So I guess aside from, I mentioned briefly that we're going to be putting out a full like program that is based on this stuff for, for people to use. Um, I think probably the next things that I'm going to start looking into and testing are going, going to be like on-ramping programs for healthy athletes. So like finding starting points for athletes that shut down for a month or more, but aren't injured. So where can, cause we can start them further along, you know, than, than an injured athlete. Um, so looking at those progressions. And then I also want to start testing one day workloads of like velocity programs and different and seeing like trying to be able to put an objective number to, if you're going to do X velocity program, you should have this chronic workload beforehand so that you can handle that that stress without seeing a spike. Um, but there's also still some work to do in, in just creating a better interval throwing program for injured athletes. Like there are changes that I have to make, um, in the, in the upcoming week or so, I'm going to be writing full length, like summaries of the traditional throwing program and ours, things that went well, things that didn't go well, uh, and kind of changes we can make moving forward. So those types of things should be coming soon. Really That's exciting exciting. Stuff, dude. Yeah, it is, really and it's. I'm I'm biting my tongue over here. <laughs> that, that I mean, because th- that's that's something that we can do, we can do better, right? We can bring kids in and be like, hey, if you're going to do our program, you have to commit to six weeks because that's all our program. That's that's what it takes, right? You can't do this without. You have to earn this. You know what I mean? And it's 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 not just valuable to have them there for that long it's valuable because that's the right way to do it and you know we're really just fighting to find the way to how do we how do we have to serve it for for our people to understand how they should be consuming it right because it should be kids hang out at our place three four days a week and you know, I mean, and, and we've had this to a degree. We've had college kids that will be in the summer league in San Diego, come in before their start, do their arm care, do get gunned up, get them, you know, just hang out, you know what I mean? And treat it like a professional. But, you know, that that's that's what it is. And, and, and whether we want to acknowledge it or not, a lot of people have some serious aspirations to play pro ball at a really, really young age, especially in Southern California. And it's like, okay, well then... <clears throat> If you want to treat it like a professional, then treat it like a professional. But 
you know, don't don't have these aspirations and then fall so short in, in keeping yourself healthy because, you know, just th there's some dissonance there. Um, so, yeah, it's it's. I mean, so what's your what's your gut on you have a kid off the street, the average kid, um, especially after quarantine, right? Like take the average, let's say 10 year old right now, like what should they be doing if they haven't thrown in a tournament yet? If they haven't, like, let's say they they've thrown a ball, let's just say uh, once a week, like once a week throughout the thing. So if they've, this is what I would do. And I'm not, this is, this is my gut. This is what I would do. If I had an athlete that I was going to start training that wanted, that was going to wear a mode of sleep maybe, um, and had been throwing once or twice a week, whatever, I would essentially say, I'd put the mode of sleep on him and I'd say, show me how much you've been throwing. Like what, when you, when you've been going out and playing catch, what does that look like? So that I can get an idea of like, what's the workload that he's been putting on his arm without even thinking about it. Because, because if that's what he's been doing, like, and then you can either use that as a starting point, or if it, if you can see it as being like, well, this is like making me uncomfortable how much it is. If you've only been throwing once a week, you can adjust from there. But it get, would give you an idea of a starting point, and then just kind of program out from there. Like, I would say, if they've been throwing once a week at X volume, probably moving to three times a week with one of those days being pretty low. And, and going from there, but like, I don't, I just don't really like the idea of guessing anymore. It's, it's like yeah, it's well, becoming more and more difficult for me when guys reach out to me about programming and they want to get ready for a start, you know, with the, with the quarantine that we had, we had a bunch of guys that were in limbo for months and now Minnesota announced we're starting summer ball. So I have a lot of guys that are like, coach, we're going to play games. We're going to start games on July 3rd. And it's like, well, how much have you been throwing? How intense? For how like, and it's, it, I think it's made my guesses better because I know what patterns these programs follow now, but it's also made me uncomfortable with guessing uh, just because you, you don't have to. Uh, so I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, to be honest with you, because I used to be a lot more confident. Like I used to think, oh, well, well traditional <laughs> knowledge would say throw three times a week, then four times a week, then, no. You know, well, what every I'm day about and, is like, because yeah. because that that you just described exactly what I would do. I mean that that but that testing is is a spike, right? And so you have to essentially like with a sleeve without a sleeve is you're figuring out where that spike is. And so when go ahead. Well, the 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 day one wouldn't necessarily be a spike if that's what they've been doing. So like if if they've been throwing every Monday and you have them on a Monday and you say show me what you've been doing, then that would be their average workload for the last month. Sure, sure. But but it's a spike because you, you're there. I, I mean, I, I, I didn't realize how I was saying it. So I totally agree with you hypothetically. And then I'm like, my counter is, no, it's definitely a spike because they're going to do a little more because of that, because of where it is. And, and it's either going to be in um, anxiety, right? A higher stress situation or a, I'm going to show off how hard I can throw, right? It takes both of those things. So uh, not to uh, say I'm right, you're wrong, just kind of th thinking out loud about uh, about how that would probably happen. So so my point is, is I think these spikes are inevitable. And and I think that's part of the thing. And it's like, whether, you, like, I'm, I'm guessing right now, I'm like, let, let's just admit it. So, but 
but I'm not in the sense that I'm communicating, right? So I'm making sure that I have a very clear communication and we watch the radar gun, right? So, you know, at one point, just like learning from John and having the confidence to believe what I was seeing, you know, I was like, dude, we, we see pain, we see discomfort. And, and there's a lot of truth to that. Um, I know this is uh, the, the path that you're taking and, and that's okay. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Um, it's just that you, you know what yourself, what, what it feels like when you feel nothing, right? We all know what, Hey, my arm is, I'm feeling it right now. And so we're paying attention to body language. We're paying attention to the radar gun. And then we're talking to them and making, you know, like you, you, you can see the arm shake. The arm shake isn't, ah, that felt great. Like I'm going to get like, this is like, oh, what's going on there? Like, what was that feeling? So um, it's, again, it's all a piece of the pie, right? Like you're, you're, you've already mentioned this. So uh, uh, again, this is the, the purpose of us having this conversation in this podcast is so hopefully some of these parents and some of these families and, and players are, are hearing this conversation and, and thinking long and hard about how they're approaching the throwing fitness. So um Sounds like know, a what, giant what, ad for Moda Sleep too, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I feel the, that way. This. Like when I'm putting stuff out there, I'm like, I'm not getting paid to do this, but like, there's no other product. Like this is this is the product that does this right now, and it yeah. does it well. Like it's been tested against biomechanics labs. Like it's it's a good product, and and it's and it's a valuable thing for a 12 year old or 12 to 18 year old and their parent to like be able to look at this stuff a little bit more holistically than a pitch count does with objective data. Cause there are a lot of people that like, just don't know how to navigate all of that. The parents weren't baseball parent people or they were, but they, this is all new. They didn't do travel ball. I mean, the whole, the whole game has changed. And so even if you did grow up playing little league, like it's not the same anymore. And, right. and it's just a, a tool that can help kind of guide those decisions and, and help parents be more informed. Um, so, so. so think of, think about this in your, in your uh, baseball bag. Okay, you have a motor sleeve, you have a pitch logic ball, you have a pocket radar, okay, and you have your phone. And the most expensive thing on there you already have. So we can take that phone off there, right? And so the most valuable thing people have, everybody already has it and they're not using it. So let's go five, where's my hand? Okay, tripod, because people don't have tripods. It's like they're $30 for like a good sturdy, good sturdy tripod, right? And all of a sudden, like you have your own little data collection center and um, maybe like we're talking under a thousand dollars right now. And and you can you can really transform the way that you train. And um, <laughs> yeah, it's like it's crazy. It's like, never been more a accessible. I paid I paid like four hundred and fifty dollars in high school for a camcorder like so that I could watch, so I could watch 60 frame per second video of me doing something in my basement. Like it, the, the game is definitely like, you can have such, such good tech for a reasonable, I mean, and pick one or two of those things even, but yeah, to do the whole load of it for under a thousand dollars is like, it's never been more available. Right. How, I mean, how much is a motor sleep? I don't, it's not even 150 bucks. Right. It's like for, and, and the, Again, it's going to turn into a motor sleeve commercial, but like you might outgrow the sleeve. The sensor is good. So when the, when you outgrow the sleeve, you buy another sleeve for 20 bucks. So if I have a 12 year old right now, I'm going to pay $150 for a 
for a sensor and probably if I'm one, like, I might be paying the same for a bat. The bat's going to last one year, maybe two, because I'm going to change, like, whatever. The sleeve's going to last until he decides to stop throwing a baseball. Did, you, went, you went to play it again sports for that $150 bat, too. Presumably. Because they're, they're, like, $400. No, I, yeah, I know. I, it makes me sick. But, <laughs> but I was never a hitter, so I wasn't going to spend that kind of money on that. Uh, but so, yeah, side note, I pride myself on breaking the expensive bats when we're yeah, pitching. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's just, re it's readily available. I mean, it's, I, I'll tell you the modus sleeve, put up, put, go back to the commercial here, but it costs a lot less than PT does. Like it, mm -hmm. you know what, what, how about, how about a couple of your favorite metrics on the modus sleeve that, so the people don't like, where, where do you go to first when you, when you so, look at the data? my the most valuable thing to me is one day workload like if they if they wiped the app of every single other thing but i could still go out and throw and they could give me a one day workload i would i would take it um after that i want to see the torque because i want to know like where are we on this athlete's progression like did we get to top end or are we about like just kind of where we are obviously the calculations that does then the ac ratio and all, like that's great but like if you, if you have one day workload, you can calculate all that on your own. So one day workload and torque to me are, are where the money's made. Um, Makes a lot of sense too. Like, like if it's my kid and uh, he's going to, he's in the traditional travel ball world here in San Diego, he might play four or five games. You could really monitor the entire weekend and, and, and know right away when he's lying. Because we yeah. all know that they're going to lie to get to the championship game, you know. And the coach is like, "Hey, how do you think he feels?" And I'm, and you're looking at your app, going, "Nah, bro, you already used yeah. him. We yeah, ain't doing done. it. Yeah, yeah, he's done. You can put uh, him in right, but he well, ain't throwing it. Like he ain't going to rip it." No? This is the other cool thing is like you could get used to if you did this for a while, you could get used to. Oh, well, when Johnny plays right field, his one day workload is a three because he plays yeah. catch before the game. And he goes up to right and he makes two throws out there, and it's low. When he pitches, it's a 40. Okay, well, I can start to plan, like, okay, you can pitch today. You can play shortstop tomorrow. You could play right, like, you could have an idea of where he's going to experience the most or the least workload and put people there accordingly. Like, it's, Dude. that's, that's a ways out, but I think that that's like those are the things you. No, I don't. I don't think it's a ways out at all for what you're saying. I, I think it's for what you're saying for the modus sleeve. I don't think it's a ways out. I think it's just like you're saying. You got to learn what your number is, and then you know if you know anything about baseball, and if you throw up, let's say you throw two innings, right? Like you move that kid to shortstop for the benefit of the team, but that's not the best thing for the kid. And no, you can okay, prove so it, you know, uh, let me let me paint this picture because I've seen this so many times. I saw it in fall ball in Minnesota, and now I see it like I think it might be the norm here. Okay, so I'm looking at um, lineups and and how these coaches are changing. And dude, kids are playing four positions in a game. Four. <laughs> what are we doing? Like, yeah. so so hopefully. Okay, because I've been over here going, I mean, modus sleeve is, is here we go. This is in the right direction. It forces you into being like, today you're going to play one position. Tomorrow you're going to play another position. And there's going to be this interchangeability. It's not that hard to do it. Every big league team does it. Now, we're not going to have nine pitchers. So, oh, good. Now we have, it's just like, 
oh, okay, everybody pitches. Oh, even more reason why you play one position a day. And it's just like when you're do- right, when you have the pitching, oh, you can play two positions max. Like two positions max. That's a really reasonable thing. I mean, I, I just, you if you took a little rule like that and you applied that to a little league, right? The implications are huge, right? People would, but... I don't know. Yeah, I guess I don't. I don't necessarily well, see a problem in moving yeah. positions as long as you're not like pitching, catching, and shortstop. Like I think there are some higher. Like as long as you can. Because because it's not players. fair to anybody. Because okay, so sorry. I, I what, what I had in my head and I didn't actually put to fruition is like okay, put yourself in game day. Okay, you're nine. You got to play four positions today. Like and then the coach is like, Cass, you you're supposed to be at second. I'm like. I thought I was on the bench. Like, give me my gum. Like, it, nobody manages these things well. I've never seen it done. There's nobody that orchestrates that well. So when I did fall ball, I'm dead serious. Now, I, 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 I earned this a little bit, but I'm like, you guys are just going to play the positions that you want to play. Okay? And you have to sit two innings. Everybody has to sit two innings. And this is who's pitching today. Okay? Can we handle this? Now, I could do that with 15-year-olds. I recognize that I would have to take more control of that with younger players, but I, I'm telling you, because when you talk about skill acquisition and the experience for the youth, like talking about just like teaching them things that actually matter, right? These things actually matter. Playing shortstop for a day is something that they can comprehend. Playing all of the positions, they're existing in the game. They're not actively involved. Right. And, and, and this comes from my experience of being from the middle of nowhere, getting to just show up and play like as much as there was zero coaching. I just I had my same catcher for, you know, six, seven years. Like those kind of things are really, really important. So I, I that's what I think I'm fighting for, because you can you can do the same thing. You can do the same thing at the end of the year. I'm going to have the same amount of innings at each position for all my kids, however they want it, just like the other guy is, okay? But they're going to have just this chaos every single game. And things like the modus sleeve make you think about it logically and go, okay, my pitcher today has one other option, and that's going to be right field or whatever the lowest, whatever we figure out is his lowest um, workload day. And you just go down and you, you map it out like you would for a job. Like it's so simple to do this for your kid. And the sad thing to me at the end of this is every parent has this skill and they're not applying it in the way because every mom is schedule maniac, right? We got 17,000 activities and I have five kids and I get them there. It's, it's crazy. Well then do that for your kid's throwing program. Take one day out of your life. So there you go. <laughs> rant over yeah I, I i agree you know it's it's weird i'm in high school we only had four pitchers and i distinctly remember going from the mound to first base to right field to shortstop like in 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 one game and being like two innings ago i was on the mound how did i end up at shortstop here Who's, whose idea was this like you know ball in the hole i'm not quite sure if it's going to get there but anything at me, I'm charging and flipping it underneath. That's the only way I'm getting it to first right now, right? We we used to love it when we would see – this was high school, but, like, we would see the starting pitcher from game one go over to third. We're drag bunting early. Like, <laughs> this guy this guy just pitched seven innings. He took 20 minutes off to eat a sandwich. Like, we're going to make him let one loose. Yeah, like, this, loose here. yeah he's and, throwing like, a souvenir into the first base stance, you know? Exactly. And, like, 
the fact that that was a thing that as kids we recognized and but like people were putting them out there still it's like guy goes to catch you're like well we're gonna run on this guy like, let's <laughs> yeah. make him use it and i mean i don't know it seems avoidable public service announcement coaches please do not have your pitchers catch after pitching or your catchers pitch after catching okay nobody's got any legs it's, it's going to be death everywhere to, to, to bet. I'm sure the bonus spikes would be crazy on those. Probably. I mean, that you've got to have, you'd have to have a significant chronic workload. And again, all that's taking into account is your elbow. It does nothing with your legs. It does nothing with your body's overall fatigue. So even if you, even if it says your elbow is in good enough shape to do it, like, I don't know, I'm skeptical. So awesome. I, uh, the, it makes me think about the, um, the soccer clubs and how how big they're into data collection on the human performance side and they wear those shirts that have all those sensors on it you know heart rate uh, gives them all that you know tells them velocity when they're moving and everything like that and i'm just wondering you know when when is major league baseball going to get on that you know level of i mean you, you will see i i think in the most recent um big soccer uh, tournament they had over whatever it was. Uh, I remember them showing like the heartbeats of the guys as they were running across the field and like everybody's, and you could see like the dude that just went on the run was just like, you know, and the other guy that's the other guy that's on the other side is just kind of going and he's just like, you know, yeah. he's just chilling. There's, so there's so much. Yeah. And, and actually the acute to chronic workload ratio research was started in rugby i can't remember if it was rugby or soccer but it was that's where it stemmed from was gps monitoring on rugby or soccer players um but yeah there's there's so many pieces of the puzzle uh, and you know only gonna learn more along the way by pass. all right well, we're gonna wrap it up it's all good yeah. um he's got to run head over some remote training um weston this has been great man i really appreciate you updating on all, on all of this um i can't wait to see how things keep going with stuff so keep us in the loop man this has been great um i appreciate you um you know just buckling down on this this is some quality information and there's some there's some questions and some problems that need to be you know addressed here because just like you said like Rehab's weird, and and if you haven't been in the rehab space before, and you would come back throwing to like zero, like I was, where it was like I, you know, basically I had massive trust issues on throwing again because I didn't know. Well, I don't know if this is gonna hurt. Is this gonna hurt? Is this the right or wrong way? I just have no idea, and I feel like this tool, if I had something like this that would be able to measure like that, it would just be tremendous to my own just confidence and understanding confidence which way I'm yeah. going. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. For well, sure. Yeah, it, for sure. I, well, I appreciate you guys having me on a couple of times to talk about it. It's been really good getting you guys input and thoughts and just kind of exploring the exploring the topic. So I really appreciate you having me on. Oh, yeah, it's great, man. It's We love talking baseball and you're a good dude. We love to help promote you. Mill City throwing, guys. You got to go check them out in Minnesota. Weston's over there. Anybody in the area, you know, if you especially people that are, are trying to think about coming, you know, starting to increase their velo safely and, and understand what happens to the arm. You know, I mean, I'm 34. I throw pretty much every day, but I get, I guarantee you that my uh, output of throws that I throw every day is probably under 50 every day. Right. It's and and even then we're not, we're not saying 50 max throws. Like I shoot yesterday. I didn't even, I, I know for sure. I didn't throw a ball over 80 yesterday. Right. And barely on but all his demonstrations inside of drills and stuff like that. And so 
it, it all of this stuff makes sense to me is what I'm saying. You know, I, I know, I know how I feel. I know how I need to feel on a good day. You know what I mean? Like, and getting to that point, you know, you know, right away as a starting pitcher, when you wake up and your game day and, and you wake up and you move and you go, worked way too hard this week, worked way too hard, definitely not going to have everything today. Right. And so being able to take that idea from an anecdotal situation to an actual number situation that you can process is just so tremendous. So thanks again, man. I, I appreciate the update. We'll, we'll do this again as much as you want. You just let us know. And whenever you got an update, man, we'll just keep promoting you and get it out there. Right. Awesome. Sounds good. Great talking to you. You too, buddy. Appreciate it. Guys, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Um, you can sign up for the website, Remote Training. Stay safe out there. Hats, shirts. Um, let's see. We, I don't know if we have anything else. I think it's about it right now. So, All right, guys. Appreciate it.